Good afternoon and welcome to the City and School District Select Committee um, for Thursday, May 22nd. My name is Jane Kim and I am chairing today's committee. I am joined by Supervisors John Avalos, uh, Vice Chair John Avalos, and Supervisor Eric Marr, who is here in place of Supervisor Mark Farrell, and we are joined by Commissioner Matt Haney in the Board of Education. Madam Clerk, are there any announcements? Seeing none, can we please call item number one? Thank you. Uh, Supervisor, it's file number 140389. It's a hearing on accessibility of water bottle filling stations in San Francisco. And that was sponsored by Supervisors Mar, Campos, and Chu. Thank you, Madam Clerk. I know this item is a joint hearing um, of both of the Board of Education and um, the Board of Supervisor. Um, this is a policy hearing of interest to both Commissioner Haney, who is here, and Supervisor Marr. And so I'd like to turn things over to Commissioner Haney um, for opening remarks. Oh, there we go. Y'all are a little more 21st century over here. Um, so but before I, I start on this particular item, and, and I'm really excited about this conversation and, and to be here at this committee, I first want to say, uh, and I think I speak for the rest of my board colleagues when I say this, uh, of how wonderful it has been to have such strong supporters of the school district and of uh, children in San Francisco here in the Board of Supervisors and in City Hall. Uh, I think over the last year or so since I've been on the school board, uh, I've seen an extraordinary amount of collaboration, of cooperation, um, of new opportunities for how we can work together. So I want to say that. Um, and also it's great to have former commissioners, of course, who are, who are here uh, who can make sure that um, we are continuing that collaboration and also even in some cases uh, reminding us of the things that they worked on and, and the new opportunities that can come as a result of that. Um, so this item comes in that spirit and is very much in, in, in that vein. Um, and thank you to, to Supervisor Marr for, for bringing this forward um, as well. Uh, this is, in, and I think there's really two things that I was hoping we could accomplish and then I'll, I'll, I'll turn it over to the folks who are going to give us a presentation. Uh, the first is, and, and the reason why I wanted to bring this and Supervisor Marr wanted to bring this, is because this really is a model for collaboration between the city and the school district. Um, we have a number of city departments that are involved in this project. Um, we've seen tremendous progress in a short amount of time on expanding the water bottle filling stations in our schools and expanding water access in the schools as a result. And it really is something that could not have happened with just the school district taking this on uh, on its own. It's something that requires uh, collaboration and the expertise and the skills and the resources of different city departments. And we've seen that and we're, we should be proud of it and we should recognize it, learn from it, and I think we're here to celebrate it. Uh, the second thing is, is hopefully we can have a conversation again in that spirit of uh, how we might continue this work, uh, what this work tells us in terms of how we can grow it around what the needs are, um, around some of the constraints that we've had uh, and some of the opportunities that we may exist. And I think that this is particularly relevant. You know, one of the reasons why we wanted to bring this over here is because uh, I think it's been in, in line with many of the priorities that this board, the Board of Supervisors, has had uh, over, over the past year or so. Uh, the increasing uh, interest in the health of children in, in San Francisco and what we can do uh, to expand access to healthy choices, uh, and also environmental issues. You know, I, I recently the city I know passed um, an ordinance around uh, water bottles, and so it, this, this definitely relates to that and is in that spirit. Um, and last thing I'll say in terms of how this came forward, I actually 
was at uh, Mission High School, and I was talking to, very early on during my time as a school board member, talking to a group of students that were in their peer resources program, and I was asking them what their priorities were, at, you know, and what their concerns were, and what ideas they had for their school. Uh, and one of the things that came up is that they told me, well, the thing that we are most concerned with right now is access to water. And if you think about that, here, here we are in San Francisco, one of the wealthiest cities in the world, and students in our high school are telling us that they don't have access to water in their school, and this is a concern for them. And of course, when you look on paper, we've, we've done all the right things, right? There's a water fountain in their school, and you know, it's in the right location, and on paper, it all, it all looks fine. But in terms of how the students experience it and whether they actually have the water that they, they need and they use the water fountains and they feel like when they need it, it's there, um, and, and that in their realities and, and how their day-to-day -day goes, they can access it when they need it, um, that clearly wasn't happening. And so they told me what was true um, for many of the, the students that, that I came to hear over time, which was that the water fountain's there, but sometimes it's not always working. Sometimes it's dirty. Um, uh, sometimes it doesn't provide the level or the volume of access that students need. You can imagine if in a passing period or during lunch you quickly need to get some water, you can't fill up a bottle that quickly, maybe you can just get a sip. Um, so this was a concern for them in their ability to access water at the level that they needed to in their daily lives in school. And so um, I, I had the opportunity to, to learn actually shortly thereafter about this extraordinary program that, we've, that we have in our schools, uh, which we'll be talking about today, that has found a way to address that and not just, you know, dot, dot the I's and cross the T's that there's a water, uh, a, a water fountain or a, a, a water device inside the school, but actually ones that are being used, uh, ones that meet the need and meet the volume of need uh, that our students should have on a regular uh, basis um, that reflect their, their realities. So that's what I've seen with these water bottle filling stations. I've, I've learned a lot about this program and also about uh, the experience of schools that do have them as opposed to the schools that do not. And some of the schools that do not have them where this access to water remains an issue um, are in our highest need communities and our highest need schools. And I think that should be perhaps if we, if we think about where to go next, uh, the place that we focus our, 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 our efforts. So that's kind of some background behind it. I think that we're going to have um, a presentation in the, in, the, in the spirit of this collaboration. I think the presentation is actually um, somebody from the school district, uh, somebody from um, the PUC, and, and also representative of, of the Department of Public Health. So that's been the type of program that uh, this has been from the beginning in terms of the cooperation. So we're excited to hear the perspective of all three uh, departments in, in, in their experience with this and some of the needs, questions, and, and opportunities that exist as well. Thank you, Commissioner Haney. Supervisor Marr. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to work with uh, Commissioner Matt Haney. And this feels like a reunion here with Esther Casco and um, Hydra and Jane and others, um, even John Avalos, who's been so involved with schools. Um, but um, with Commissioner Haney, this has been a great process to learn the needs of the school district. I wanted to thank Nick Kastner from the school district for his work not just on um, water and, and but sustainability in general and the systems in San, San Francisco Unified School District. And besides Laura Page, who's here from the Public Utilities Commission, I wanted to thank Radhika Fox and Juliet Ellis for their work. We did a hearing last July on the, um, the current water fountains and drink tap stations and water bottle filling stations in the city, looking at Reckon Park, 
the Public Utilities Commission and the city buildings. And this is in some ways a follow-up for that. But I think it's working in mutual respect and partnership with the school district because we as a city don't have control over the schools as we know. Mm -hmm. And it's an effort to build support for what uh, Commissioner Haney and others are doing in the school district. I also wanted to say that in the hearing that we did in July, we were looking with an equity lens on where the needs were. And it seemed that in many low-income communities and schools and parks that are in those communities that there was a, a higher need, though the need is all over the city. But I think we were looking at equity. And there were some good maps that were um, produced as well. I'm looking forward to seeing um, if we can, in an equitable way, prioritize um, neighborhoods that need it the most and schools that need it the most. I also wanted to say that I think the educational programs from First Five Commission to the school district to educate about why water is so critical and water access, um, but I think capital needs and other support for pilot programs that the school district and the PUC are, have launched and are currently expanding are critical as well. I also wanted to say that um, the Department of Public Health, um, Christina Gota, and many others have helped us understand the, why water is so critical, like for the Mission High students that Commissioner Haney was talking about. Um, and our Department of Public Health has a very good presentation that they gave in July. But I'll just reiterate that um, too many children and adults are not drinking enough water. And people are dehydrated, lots of seniors in our communities as well. But when kids don't have enough water, their brains don't function right, and they, their academic achievement is harmed. So poor hydration can be extremely harmful to our brains and our full body systems. Um, also, many other beverages um, that are marketed like crazy at kids um, at very young ages um, really contain unnecessary calories and are very, very harmful, especially if the um, sugar-sweetened beverages are consumed in large amounts like for many children. And if we do nothing today about this, one-third of our population will be um, will have diabetes in their lifetime. So I think it's a critical need, as Commissioner Haney brought up, why many interventions are needed. Also, um, as the PUC has um, um, acknowledged um, year after year, the Hetch Hetchy water system that San Francisco and so much of the Bay Area benefits from produces the highest quality, excellent water, totally free, and having access to it is critical in our city, but especially in our schools as well. I wanted to say, lastly, that um, cultural change is critical, so having a um, affordable or free water bottles is really important. And I know a lot of nonprofits and businesses contribute, but I, we need to do much more to provide that reusable water bottles and besides the capital improvements as well. Um, our city has a health equity coalition that I and my colleagues have worked with over the years. Shape Up SF is one that the YMCA plays a critical role in, but also UCSF and many um, businesses and nonprofits as well. We're working on a soda tax to help fund many of our water access needs, um, and that will come up in November. But um, I wanted to point to the pilot program that is in the school district now. Um, Sutro Elementary School in the Richmond District on 12th and Clement is one school that's benefited tremendously with a new drink tap water, water filling station. It's very clear that that school has it very prominently placed. And I think that that's a great example 
Other schools have some facilities improvements, but I noticed that it's not as prominent, and I'm guessing that because it was one of the pilot schools that there's a lot more awareness and there'll be more water access. So I'm looking forward to the expansion to the 36 other schools with the PUC and school districts program as well. Um, lastly, I'll just say that um, I think this hearing hopefully is a first step for um, for us as a city to understand what we can do to support Commissioner Haney and the school district more. Thanks, uh, Chair Kim. Thank you. And so um, I believe we have a presentation from SFUSD um, and the and perhaps the Public Utilities Commission, and we have Laura Page and Nick Kastner. Good afternoon, supervisors. Good afternoon, commissioners. Uh, my name is Nick Kester. I'm the Sustainability Director at the San Francisco Unified School District, and standing next to me is Laura Page, my uh, partner in crime. She's the Arts and Educational Initiatives Director of the PUC and also a great advocate for all the collaboration that happens between our two agencies. Uh, also behind me is Mino, uh, Mina Mohammadi from the Department of Public Health. She's been focusing on the evaluation of this initiative, and um, we'll talk a little bit more about what that has entailed. Uh, so just a very quick uh, refresher of how we got to be here. Uh, in 2010, we had two pieces of uh, legislation or regulation passed. Uh, on the one hand, there was the Healthy and Hunger-Free Kids Act uh, at the federal level that basically mandated that if you are receiving, receiving reimbursable meals as a school district, that you are required to provide access to water um, where the meals are served. And at the same time, the state passed a law, SB 1413, that required free drinking water uh, wherever meals are served or eaten um, during the meal period. So that potentially actually expanded the number of locations that would be impacted. Uh, the federal legislation um, did not provide an opt-out clause. The state one did. And that opt-out clause was for, for school districts to pass a resolution that basically explained a process for meeting the goals of the legislation even if uh, the deadline of July 1st, 20, um, 2011 could not be met. And that is what SFUSD did. We cited uh, health and safety constraints, uh, i.e. having open water containers in the lunchroom not really being a feasible option for us here in San Francisco. And so we um, vowed to finish providing water access to all of our students by 2015-2016. And just for reference, we're hoping to actually do that by the end of this calendar year now. Uh, the uh, partnership involved is uh, quite multifaceted. Obviously, uh, SFUSD is responsible for installing the water stations in our property. Um, but we also have the PUC involved in workforce development efforts. Uh, SF Environment provides an assembly uh, and educational materials. Uh, SFDPH does the evaluation of the program. And of course, the PUC is our very generous donor that funds not only this program, but part of my position, solar panels on Alvarado School, you name it, the PUC uh, is involved. Uh, so let's talk really briefly about infrastructure. Uh, on the left is the initial Sutro fountain. This was part of a global tap um, donation. The company wanted us to install their fountains. And after doing that at five sites, we discovered there were several problems with that particular design. So uh, after the pilot was over, we actually moved to a different design that you can see the lower right-hand corner of the, uh, the wider picture. And that fountain is built into the wall that uh, minimizes problems with ADA access and uh, also path of travel issues. And uh, it's, we found it to be a lot more reliable. 
Um, after the pilot schools, we basically went through a prioritization system to identify those schools that don't meet the federal or state requirements around water access. And we have been ticking off those schools one by one over the past couple of years. And basically, the, uh, the decision about which schools to do first and which ones to do later are related to the ease of installation. Ones that are a lot more invasive, installation procedures that are more invasive will happen during the summer. Uh, and usually that's because there's, the plumbing isn't necessarily nearby or there's a lot of hazmat work that has to happen. And installations that are fairly straightforward that can happen over a weekend will happen uh, during the school year during, let's say, a three-day holiday. <clears throat> so here's where we are to date. Uh, installation is complete at the blue sites. Um, and that includes the five pilot schools as well as about um, 12 to 13 of the PUC-funded sites. And by the end of 2014, we plan to hit those additional yellow spots on the map. And I believe all of you are in possession of a bottle filler, bottle filler status spreadsheet that lists the different groups of schools. I'm going to quickly explain that um, just so that it makes sense. Uh, there are schools that were part of the pilot. There are schools that are funded by the PUC. And then there are schools that the school district is doing because we, of course, passed the 2011 bond. And as we modernize schools, the PUC, the school district is taking care of bottle filler installations at those sites. So there are 25 sites that are actually being done by the school district itself. And then the sites where we have some need right now, which I believe are here, uh, are sites um, that currently don't have a fountain. They have a fountain, but it's not uh, close enough to the cafeteria to meet our standards. And schools that may have a, a typical bubbler, the kind of water fountain we're used to kind of bending over and drinking from, but not a water bottle filling station. So all told, there are about 56 schools that are currently not slated, that don't have any funding to get this kind of water access that we're talking about. Uh, Mr. Kastner, can I yep. just ask a quick question? So I, the list that yep. you referred to, um, the second set are schools to be completed with current uh, PUC funding, and the schools that are bolded are the ones that are completed, I assume? Correct. And the ones that are unbolded are, will be done Imminently or by the end of this calendar year. Right. Most of them will be done this summer when the students are not there. Yeah. Um, and I turn it over to Laura. Good afternoon. Thanks for having us. Um, I want to thank Nick for all of his hard work on this program, without whom it would not exist. Uh, the, the Drink to Tap program is a, a wonderful program for the PUC to be a part of for many reasons. Um, as you, you probably know, we have a community benefits program um, that was developed by our commission and passed in 2011 to ensure that the PUC is being a good neighbor in all of the areas where we operate and serve. Um, and two key tenets of our community benefits policy is our commitment to workforce development and education. Um, so through this program, we had a partnership with SFUSD's Tech 21 program, which is part of the Career Technical Education uh, Department. Uh, we actually hired students, high school students, from John O'Connell to participate in shadowing our contractors to learn about carpentry, plumbing, uh, and becoming an electrician and electronic maintenance technician, all of those trades that are integral to things like tap stations being installed. Um, so that was a great opportunity both last school year and this past summer for students to get that hands-on experience. Um, it's also important for us because, as you know, the PUC is going to be facing a shortfall in our own workforce in the next five years. Forty percent of our workforce is eligible for retirement. We hope they don't take advantage of that in the next five years, but if they do, we're really excited about the opportunity to work with high school students to get them into pre-apprenticeships for those students for whom a career in the trades is the right path. So this has been a great way to do that in partnership with the school district. 
On the education side, as Nick mentioned, uh, our colleague Tamar Hurwitz has presented school assemblies in all of the schools where we've provided drink tap bottle filling stations. She's adapted the R Water curriculum, which is a curriculum we offer to third through sixth grade about the history of the Hetch Hetchy water system, uh, the history of how water um, needs first cropped up in the first place when San Francisco was established after the gold rush. Um, and it also talks about uh, water conservation, which is especially important in times mm -hmm. of drought as we're exp experiencing now. Um, so those students, it's several hundred students at, at every school, gets an opportunity to hear those messages and understand how to preserve our natural resources through conservation. Um, we distribute a water bottle, as Supervisor Marr mentioned. Um, we give an 18-ounce stainless steel water bottle to every single student, every staff member, and every faculty member at each of the schools that receives a bottle filling station. Um, we have an audience of, at the end of this program, 17,000 students. To date, over 8,000 students have gotten this R Water Assembly and received a free water bottle so that they can fill up their bottle at school. And we've actually become a model for other cities. There's a whole network of schools and school districts and cities interested in figuring out how to make a program like this work. So we've done phone calls, conference calls, hearings, presentations um, from Washington, D.C. to closer neighbors in Santa Clara County around integrating water curriculum with something like a, a public utility being involved in installing a tap station. As we mentioned, our colleague Mina Mohammadi uh, helped develop a survey. She has a background in data analysis and is an epidemiologist for the Department of Public Health. Um, our survey is administered to students both prior to the tap station being installed and prior to them receiving the assembly, and then as a follow-up to understand you know, their perception of drinking water, whether tap water is good or not, whether they feel like they can trust it, whether they want to drink it at school, and then actually ask them how much are they drinking. So are they drinking more now that they have a water bottle filling station? Um, the initial results, which is a fairly small sample size from our pilot project, um, with that, were that showed that um, more than two times, uh, let me read this correctly, kids are drinking water two times more often than they were than just drinking from the faucet. Um, two and a half times more kids are bringing their bottle from home to refill at school. Uh, there's more bottle use at home. And three times as many kids are identifying snow as a source of water. It doesn't come from the ground. It doesn't come from the wall. It comes from Hetch Hetchy Reservoir from snow melt in the Sierra Nevada mountains. Um, this summer, we'll be installing water meters on every single unit. So we'll be able to actually um, gauge water consumption, not just by students saying, yeah, I drink water three times a day now, mm. but actually by seeing how much the water consumption is going up. Uh, we'll have results from this current school year where we've done many, many more assemblies because the bulk of our water installations have happened during this school year, um, during this summer. Mina's in the process of doing that data analysis now. And if anyone has any specific questions about that, you can feel free to ask her. So our next steps, um, access to water at all schools. As Nick mentioned, there's 54 schools remaining that are not part of the bond program, not part of the drink tap program, and not part of the pilot program who don't have a water bottle filling station. Um, the questions about sequencing the program expansion and how to prioritize those schools based on neighborhood, uh, superintendent zone, those are all considerations. Resources, obviously, are a consideration. We're happy to provide information about that if you're interested. Um, but it's also a really exciting opportunity for regional and statewide replication of this program. So we really see San Francisco as a leader in this effort. We've been reached out to by many, many communities, um, especially across California, who are trying to figure out how to get engaged with their, with their city uh, to help benefit the school district. Um, Nick is also working on a project to get rid of those Arrowhead water bottle fillers, or not to call out Arrowhead, Nestle, what have you. Um, <laughs> 
in, in their staff offices uh, and replacing those with a water filter where you actually get tap water. It's filtered. It's chilled. You have to, you know, pay a small nominal rental cost to be able to have that, but that's a project that's also on the horizon. So with that, I'll close and we'll open it up to questions. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I do have just a couple of quick questions. Um, I noticed that on the list that some charter schools are listed and some aren't, and I was just wondering what the thinking about that is. You know, that is a good question. That list originally came from Nancy Waymack, um, and we, um, I'll have to check with David if he wants to do those or not. At that time, the decision was these are the schools that will be included, and I've just been prioritizing them. Right. But, no, I'm also looking at the remaining sites, too. Say again? I'm also looking yeah, at yeah. the... No, I yeah, no, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we haven't had that conversation because we haven't gotten there yet, but, um, but I will definitely make a note and ask um, yeah. David what he... If there's any reason not to do them. I mean, the kids right. are still needing water. Right. It's our facilities. They're still our kids. So right now, my assumption is they are included. Okay. Yeah. No, that would be great. I, it would be awkward for Denman to have it yeah, and absolutely. leadership upstairs doesn't or... Right. You know, right. but, but also our schools that are on their own sites. I also noticed that Life Learning Academy on Treasure Island wasn't on the list um, either. And I know, I, I'm not sure if that's, it's probably not a school district building, so I'm not sure it's not. So Commissioner Mendoza confirmed that it's not, so I'm not sure if that makes it complicated right. then to install. Um, but that school is probably going to be there for a while, and so I, I would want them to have access to water if that was a need. Um, I was curious as to what the cost Per station is. I, I, you said that the complications are different with every school. Right. But is we do have rough numbers. I did ask the project manager to give me an idea because, of course, he doesn't. He says they're all different. <laughs> but he, he said uh, if you were just doing a simple retrofit, i.e., you've got a water fountain there, you just need to tap into the water line, and there's already sewer there, so you can let the water flow back down. Then it, we're talking about a three to five thousand dollar install. The average that we've been working with is more like ten thousand because of hazmat costs. And if, in other words, if I were to put a water station over there and there's no immediate water access, then you've got to get the water over there, you've got to get the sewer line over there, and you've had to worry about what's behind that wall. So it, it really drives up the cost. We do um, expect that going forward the installations will be easier because we're going to be talking about locations that already have water access in the cafeteria. They may not have a bottle filler, uh, which is, of course, a big <laughs> part of the program, but the water should be there. Mm -hmm. And is there only one per school? Right now there's only one per school, yeah. And I think my last just kind of technical question. Um, oh, you had mentioned that the five pilots, the five schools that got the pilot, that there are some issues um, with it. But I assume that they still have those water bottle filtration. Yeah. You didn't replace that with the, the only place that we had like a that it didn't work out was Sutro, and we actually just gave them one of the newer models. Okay. So that those two pictures were actually at the same location. But the other ones that, you know, they've been fine with. The main issue is that there's mm -hmm. some dripping from the front. I see. Uh, and we couldn't install a water meter underneath because there's just, there is almost no underneath. Mm -hmm. uh, so those schools, we provided them with uh, drip mats, and that contains the water, and it evaporates overnight. So it's and you not didn't a, mention ADA issues. I mean, that was what had concerned mm -hmm. me. Right. And a path of travel. Yeah, so we installed those initial ones so that that isn't an issue, but uh, it required a little bit more finagling than the newer system, which is only about three inches, only sticks out about three inches from the wall. That allows us a lot more wiggle room when you, in terms of placing it and, and having the right height. So. And, and my last question before I turn it over to Supervisor Marr, I, I do remember from my days on the Board of Education that I sometimes heard from students that it wasn't about the water fountain itself, but they felt like the piping 
was the issue. They trust that Hetch Hetchy water is clean, um, but that the piping is old, and so they have to leave. Actually, teachers and principals said, too, that they have to turn the water on for a while and let the orange water go through before they would wash their hands in the morning. So I was curious if that issue has been addressed. So even if we're filtering water or having new water bottle stations, if the piping is, in fact, old right. and the water is coming out orange, then, you know, obviously it doesn't encourage students to drink it. So the, the kind of looking at the district globally, uh, we have a very small number of schools that still have issues with lead in their fixtures. It's not mm -hmm. so much the pipes that are the health issue, but the fixtures. And those are being addressed as part of the bond. So some of the sites under the bond list right. will not only get the water filling stations as part of their modernization, but actually all, the, all that bad plumbing will be removed. What we do for the schools that we have already installed, we actually do a, a lead test for every single installation, immediately after installation. And uh, we make sure that the water that's coming out does not have any safety concerns. The uh, yellowish water or the reddish water is usually associated with iron, which is a taste issue but not a health issue. Um, you know, the, the lead is much more of a concern. However, we did have one school where somehow that lead was coming from some old pipe. That was Wallenberg, one of the pilot schools. And we had to figure out how to reroute the pipe and, and kind of fi you know, to remove the section of pipe that was causing the problem. So. Um, we feel like we're doing our due diligence to make sure that we can tell people, here's the, we actually send the principals the water quality test report and say, this is our, um, we're confident that the water coming out of your water bottle filling station is healthy water. And I'm thank sorry that we totally, that bullet somehow got deleted during our editing process. We no, actually thank you for the it. response. I, I do yeah. want to thank Commissioner Haney and Supervisor Marr for their leadership on this. This is so important, and it's an issue that we've heard about for years, and so I'm glad that there's movement on it. And I hope that we're able to find the funding to finish the remaining critical sites, because we want all of our schools to have the same access. Supervisor Marr. Yeah, th thank you, Chair Kim. I, I wanted to thank Laura and Nick for the great presentations. and. I'm just referring back to our Department of Public Health um, presentations to say that investments in um, water bottle filling stations and working drinking fountains that are very prominent help reduce tremendous um, costs in health care from cavities and oral health issues to even just um, issues that lead to obesity and other issues as people don't drink enough water and drink more of the sugary beverages. But I wanted to ask if um, at some point we can get the, the financial numbers that Chair Kim just asked for so we can quantify how much more you would need for those additional schools. I also wanted to say that as I visit schools and I, I've been obsessed with drinking fountains lately, I know maintenance of the drinking fountains or where they're placed is also important. But when I've looked at from the Land's End Lookout with the National Park Service or even at Yosemite, they have a lot of water filling stations that are connected with, um, with new drinking fountains. Is there an opportunity as some of the existing drinking fountains are being replaced to replace them with joint water filling stations and drinking fountains? I'm just wondering about that. The, that is not a possibility uh, because the, then those drinking, the, the bottle filling stations will not be ADA accessible. Um, because they're usually mounted behind the bowl that the water is collected in. And that means somebody in a wheelchair obviously would have to reach over that fountain to get to this water filling station. So our um, tack is actually to put it next to the water fountain. Okay. And then when I look at the picture, I think that you showed of Sutro um, Elementary School, it looks like you had to create like a barrier so that the 
water filling station is separated from the water fountain? Is that Actually, what that done? barrier was created as part of the installation of the water fountain. You'll see there's also one, you can barely see it, to the left of the water fountain. So that was part of the modernization work. Any time that we put in a water fountain, we have to put those barriers in so that a student that may be blind would be able to uh, bump into those barriers with their uh, stick. But I did notice at Sutro that the water filling station is very prominent. When I visited some other schools, especially older ones, they're mm -hmm. hidden behind um, stairwells. Or it, mm -hmm. Do you, as you implement um, with the facilities division new um, bottle filling stations or even drinking fountains, are, is there a goal to put them in prominent places yeah. along with the meters so that people are really aware of the amounts of water that are right. being consumed? I think that's a point that, to be honest, we have overlooked because the, the placement has been so challenging uh, from an infrastructure standpoint that the project manager has you know, tried to f find ways to get a water fountain in places that really uh, would require a complete tear, uh, tear down of the wall and a replumbing job. So when they're in these unusual situations, it's usually because there's water on the other side of that wall that we were able to tap into. Um, I think especially as some of these future installations hopefully will get a little bit cheaper. Uh, it's probably a good idea for us to actually devote a little, that extra bit of money to make sure that a water fountain we put in is more prominent, even if it means a lot more effort uh, on, on the part of the contractor. So your point is well taken, and I will bring that back to our future, future work. And then I'm, I'm just appreciative that coordination with Tech 21 and the, the high school students' um, shadowing of the contractors is critical, and then the PUC's community benefits and, and social justice and equity approach looking at things is, is I really appreciate that so much. Um, I'll do my best to study the different schools, and um, it looks like it's a broad range of schools. Um, was there ever a look at um, neighborhoods and schools that, that have the lowest income kids and maybe have the least access to water as you look as you developed which schools were going to go forward, or was it simply based on the bond, um, facilities bond um, schedules and deadlines? Well, the facilities bond is definitely one chunk of it because um, we knew we could handle that as part of the project cost. The, the, so far, the only schools we've worked with are those that don't even have access to water in the cafeteria. So in those situations, uh, we're required by the regulations to implement um, water balls there. So we've never, we haven't been in a situation yet where um, we are deciding between some schools in particular neighborhoods over others because all the schools have needed them to meet requirements. Going, going forward, absolutely, we now have our choice of schools because nobody needs this fountain for regulation purposes. They will be getting a bottle filler because we think it's an important policy decision. And at that point, we can absolutely say, uh, this, these schools are in disadvantaged neighborhoods. Let's make sure we focus on those first. But, if I, but just to clarify, there have been many schools on the west side of town, just as on the east side of town, that have not met the, the guidelines, and therefore we had to address those even before we start thinking about equity. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. That was the mandate that spurred this initial conversation. Now we're kind of talking, we're taking the conversation in a different direction, and we have more flexibility. Okay. And it sounds like it's more of a universal, everybody, Correct. all the schools should have access, Correct. and you have a plan to make it happen, but it sounds like for the 50 some odd schools that remain, there's a, there's a tremendous need to fund that, it Correct. sounds like. Okay. Correct. And then it would be helpful to get some sense of how much the, the educational part from the Department of the Environment and some of the other pieces of the classroom presentations and then even the water bottle giveaways, that would be helpful to quantify for us too.
who shall we send that information to? Um, Peter Lauterborn okay. from my staff who's been working on the issue with Commissioner Haney. I think we would definitely do our best to look it over and get it to other people as well. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Haney. I think my mic was on the entire time there. Um, what's that? In the future, oh, I you can. Okay, got it. Um, so, so thank you so much for, for that presentation and for your extraordinary work on this issue. I, I agree that we would not have come nearly as far uh, as we have if, if it would have happened even at all if it wasn't for your work collectively. So thank you for that. And thank you, uh, Supervisor Marr, for your, your comments and um, for your leadership on this issue um, and more broadly around children's health. Um, so I, I, I agree, and, 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 and for Chair Kim as well, uh, around really figuring out how we can do this. You know, I think that right now we've seen tremendous progress, but we know there's a ways to go, and right now we don't have a plan as to how to get there. And because we got this far working together, it'd be great to, to figure out how we can continue it um, in that spirit. One thing that, that I'll say, uh, and this was reflected both in the comments that Chair Kim made as well as um, Supervisor Marr, um, is that Every school is a little bit different in terms of what their needs are and what the situation there looks like. And uh, we don't want to get into a similar place where just because we've checked a box and said that the bottle filler is there, that we've necessarily solved the problem with respect to the access to water. I mean, an example, the, the perfect one that you gave, uh, Supervisor Mars, uh, is it in a place where people see it, where it's where there's traffic, where people are walking by. Um, right now we have a program that is really focused on making sure they're inside the, the cafeterias or by the cafeterias. That makes sense, that's important, but that was partly driven by the regulations which had us look there first. So the result of that in some places will be if your cafeteria is a little bit further away and removed, um, that's great for the lunchtime. But in terms of w where students would normally access water on a daily, regular basis um, throughout the day, um, it may not be convenient. Uh, an example that comes to mind is there's going to be one that's going to be put in Burton. I, I, I don't know exactly whether it's by the cafeteria for that one or it's going to be inside, but there's a huge difference there because Burton's cafeteria is kind of outside the building, and so if it was in that cafeteria, uh, that wouldn't mean much for, for a student who's walking throughout the day. They're not going to go all the way outside. So it's, um, I hope that as we move forward on this, and, and this has been the spirit of it uh, from the beginning, which is not just making sure we're meeting the regulations, but me make, making sure that the realities uh, and experience of, stu of students uh, on the ground in terms of their needs, um, we're measuring that, we're surveying that, we're looking at how it's being used, and then we're making decisions that are informed by that when we do expand. So where's the best place to put these in the school to ensure that students are using them the most, you know, and, and not just saying, We'll just put that because this is here and that's it and that's fine and we've checked the box, but ultimately that's not meeting the need or maybe this particular school needs more than one, you know, and, and how do we set that as a goal as well beyond just having one in each. So, um, but I think having one in each is a, is a really great start. Um, so, so thank you for your comments and also I, I should recognize that um, Commissioner Mendoza-McDonald has also led on this issue and has been concerned about it and worked on it. Um, for a long time before I was even on the board, so it's, it's wonderful to, to have her, her here, and um, I hope that we're able to continue the work uh, that, that had been done and, and really demonstrate a, a model for cooperation between the city and the school district. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner. 
So at this time, we're going to open up for a public comment on this item. If you'd like to speak on this item, please do step up. Seeing no public comment, public comment is now closed. If, are there any other closing remarks or questions? Seeing none, um, may we take a motion? Would you like to continue to the call of the chair, or would you like um, to file this item? I'll move to file the item, and um, we'll do our best to share the information that we've gathered with the rest of you and work with Commissioner Haney on moving something forward during the budget cycle, especially through this as soon as we can as well. Absolutely. We do have two members of the Budget Committee here um, with us today, so it's good that you presented to us. I, I am not on the, the Budget Committee, but I do absolutely think that this is a very important thing um, for the city to fund, and I would love all of our schools to have access to this. Um, so I'm very supportive and appreciative of all of your leadership on, on this very important issue. So we do have a motion to file, and I'll do that without opposition. Madam Clerk, can we please call item number two? Thank you, Supervisor. It's file number 140496, and it's a hearing on SFUSD's Vision 2025 policy as sponsored by you, Supervisor. Thank you. And actually, um, this item was brought to us by President Fewer, um, who wanted the um, city to learn more about the school district's Vision 2025 policy um, with updates on job readiness locally for students graduating in the next 10 years, um, what the school district is doing on parent business and community engagement strategies to ensure student success post-graduation, um, as well as defining what success means um, with a shared vision of how to implement innovative models to educate, mentor, and employ the next generation of our students. Um, certainly of interest, um, this is not just a school district issue, this is a city issue. So we're looking forward to the presentation uh, by Laura Moran, who serves as the Chief of Staff for Superintendent Carranza. Would you like to start with a little video and see some students? Okay. <laughs> We're going to do it at the end, but maybe we'll use this as a little bit of a kickoff to um, demonstrate uh, why we embarked on this vision process, which is to move to a 21st century school district. <clears throat> Thank you. 
um, and also a lot more collaboration and communication among the students. I think the iPads are a great resource to enhance a lesson. I think in general you have to have an exciting, interesting, engaging lesson and then I think the iPads are very good at uh, giving you immediate information. The other thing has been using particular applications and learning how to manipulate that. And I think that part um, is very exciting for the students. Some of them are great at it. They don't always know how to do everything, but they figure it out, uh, either together or separately, and then they want to share with each other. The fun thing, probably, for me was uh, coding. Um, coding is actually, um, what I like about it is it's like really fun, and it's actually really easy for beginners. We got an app, and then we started to make our own game. So as we're getting the presentation up, I just share that just because um, this is an example of where we've been prototyping in 31 classrooms across the district, not just how to put technology in the classrooms, but really how to integrate it with STEM and 21st century learning skills. And it's been really exciting to hear from the students and teachers how just uh, introducing not only the devices but the applications has really energized the students and really moved us away from the sage on the stage, you know, the teacher kind of uh, with everyone sitting in rows to a much more collaborative environment. So, um, so now I'll share with you sort of the bigger picture and uh, the superintendent and board of education um, almost 10 months ago um, <coughs> excuse me, ask that um, we provide support to launch a community-wide visioning process. And we did this because we had a great strategic plan. And, and if you remember, uh, a number of you were on the board, we had a wonderful strategic plan beyond the talk. And um, that's still the foundation of our vision. Um, in that plan, we have um, amazing values and goals that stay constant, access and equity, joyful learning, and keeping our promises to students and families. Um, we refreshed that strategic plan um, at the beginning of last year and shared this with all our teachers and principals. Um, and really what we were focused on was saying, how do we take those goals and values and ensure that there's some clear expectations about how all of us in support the instructional core. And the instructional core may sound jargony, but basically what it means is the only way we're going to improve student achievement and create that college and career going culture is to support the interaction between the students, the teachers, and the content. And we really clarified in this document, which is also online, and <clears throat> we can share copies with you if you haven't seen them in the past, is what should, um, if you walk into any classroom in the city, what are some of the common expectations you should see? How does then the school support the teachers in what they're delivering to students and the kind of experiences they're creating, and then what's the role of the central office? So it really provided great alignment, and that's what we've been implementing all year. But what we call this is, this is our plan for today. And we live in the epicenter of innovation in San Francisco, and have many people who want to partner with us formally and informally, 
And um, we really are in many ways, even though we're in San Francisco, as a school district, frankly, we're behind in creating that 21st century school uh, system. So we launched uh, Vision 2025, we call it, because we wanted to think about uh, the, the student entering kindergarten this year, what's the world into which they're graduating, and how do we transform that experience? And so what we realized is that we had, and you, you see here all the different stakeholders we brought together, but really we wanted to all get on the same page about what does it mean to succeed in a global world and actually study the current and future trends of San Francisco. Because of course all of it's in the newspaper and we talk about affordability, we talk about the types of jobs that are happening um, and the push out factor in our community and what a lot of us realize that work in public education and I know all of you are supporters of this, that if we want the city to retain its diversity and culture, a lot of that diversity is in our schools. And if we can't um, understand what those trends are and help our students and families prepare the students to compete and thrive in the San Francisco of today and tomorrow, then we're gonna lose the soul of the city. And so we thought, let's all get on the same page about the trends in the city, but also the educational trends. The whole learning ecosystem is being rebuilt around us right now. And many people believe that the school systems or school urban school districts can't be a center of innovation and that you have to do it only on the outside and kind of um, build it and sort of wait for the school districts to collapse and then this new learning ecosystem will take over. And what we have said is we don't think that's um, necessary or, or um, uh, sufficient in terms of equity and we want to be part of that uh, new learning ecosystem. So we studied all that together, had great panels and experts. Uh, then we said, what do we want the graduate profile to be? So if this is the world into which our students are graduating with STEM-rich jobs, um, in our community um, and, and kind of arts and cultural and political opportunities, what do we want for our, our graduate? The reason we also did this and many school districts across the country have redefined student success. With no, the death of no child left behind, right, it's 2014. Uh, we haven't officially declared it dead, but many districts, um, including our own, have received waivers from the Department of Education to say we want a new definition of success that's much more balanced about the whole child. It's not just measuring student success with standardized testing, but then what does that mean? What are those measures? And there we had lots of teachers, student panels, um, principals, and, and started to say, what is it that we want our students to be able to do to thrive? And then how do we need to transform the learning experiences and how do we rally a diverse stakeholder community to help us implement this vision? So one of the trends, and, and this is sort of um, some of what we talked about, uh, the trends that informed us, there's lots of these and we're gonna have the full vision document probably ready next week and we'd love you to look at that and it will be online and we'll send you um, copies of that. But <clears throat> right now our district is more ethnically diverse than the rest of the city is projected to be overall in 2025. And so what we're saying is if we wanna interrupt that pattern and we don't want San Francisco to become less diverse, how do we make sure our students who are with us today and over the next 10 years uh, can stay, live, work, and lead in San Francisco? And these are just some of the trends in terms of the high-wage, high-demand jobs that are um, going to be in San Francisco. And this is why we invited lots of partners to work with us on saying how do we build much smoother pathways for our students uh, working uh, pre-K-12, but also with our community-based organizations, City College, San Francisco State, UCSF, 
um, OEWD. We have lots of different kind of partnerships to make sure our students can compete for these jobs. So this is, the type is really small. I think we have uh, handouts that you have right in front of you. So what I love about this graduate profile, it's really based on all the thriving research. There's been a lot of research done about what it takes uh, for students to succeed. And so what you'll see is a much more rounded version. You don't see anywhere here where we're talking about student success is measured by test scores. Of course, we still have content knowledge, but career and life skills are so important. One of the things we heard over and over again from students in particular, they said, first of all, we need more technology and we need more real life learning experiences. We wanna start you know, um, these real life learning experiences actually in middle school, not just high school. So, um, and we also talked about, you saw in this video, coding or computer science, you know, really needs to become not something that's just done in a few after school programs, but how do we integrate that into the day and consider computer science or coding one of the second languages? And we're already positioned well because we're a district that does a lot with multilingualism, but this should be seen as more of an asset. So people, you know, all our students should be able to graduate. Um, with lots of different fluency and languages. And we're looking at a partnership with Code.org, who brought us the Hour of Code, and looking at how do we organically start to integrate this into the Common Core curriculum, not because we want everyone to be a coder, but because computer science is a second language and it teaches you how the world works. And also, if we want more girls and students of color to be actually have access to these jobs, in the future, the research shows you actually have to start introducing students to coding almost in fourth grade. You really can't wait. And we've got a, a real equity issue here with lots of students, you know, um, at young ages not only being exposed but going to summer camps and after school programs. And we just want to bring that right into the school day. Um, so, as you see, if the, this is the profile, we're going to have to make some major shifts over the next 10 years. Many of these shifts, and this is the next page, are already happening in our schools, but we have to go faster. So, for example, you know, you've probably heard some of these, and hopefully they're not buzzwords, but the whole personalized learning pathway. Again, the more we can help students find their sparks, especially in middle schools, and the design their learning pathway and allow them to move at their own pace and at their own interest, the more they're gonna be motivated to stay in school and pursue um, higher order skills and, and the mastery of the rigorous A through G curriculum. <clears throat> Blended learning is something we can't do without technology, but it's really, I mean, colleges and universities are going to blended learning. This is probably one of the biggest shifts that um, we really need to embrace. Again, the real life tasks. Um, and talent is a huge piece of this. So really looking at what does it take? I mean, we have a lot of millennials right now. We have to design a system for the kinds of young people that are coming into the teaching profession and saying, what does it really take to motivate and retain and support uh, the right kind of talent to help our students. So these are the major shifts that we're going to sure, do. Sure, Kim. Yeah, sorry. That's all right. Surprise, Mar. I'm feeling my age, and I'm, I've yeah. been out of the school board for so long that I don't know the, the terminology. What's blended learning? Great. So blended learning is actually where you're using both a combination of traditional learning, so teacher lecture or activity, but you also have online learning as well so students can go at their own pace. So the idea with blended learning is that you're using multiple um, 
opportunities for students to learn in different ways. Um, and then where that fits with kind of personalized learning pathways is the idea is really assessing students so that they can go at their own pace. So instead of teaching to 30 students and you're teaching the same thing, but you, you know that maybe five students are with you and the other 25 are in different places, it's really being able to regroup and allow students, and if you see this, you'll see this with the iPads, um, students can go back and, and redo something, right, and master a concept uh, by looking at the same content five or six times, and you can't do that if you're just waiting to hear the teacher, right? And other students who want to speed ahead a little bit can do that as well. So um, that's, what, um, that's what we're looking at, is that really in the past, it's really only the last two or three years, the technology and the digital content and the applications have gotten so advanced and so easy to use for our teachers that it's allowing a lot of this differentiated instruction that if you think of it, we put a teacher in a classroom with 30 students with very diverse learning needs and we say differentiate, and you're there all by yourself. And how do you provide the teacher the, these uh, tools and aids to allow them to do that kind of differentiation. And technology is really allowing us to do that and allowing kids to teach each other, right? A lot of times it's not all up to the teacher. Um, so how do we get from vision to action? Uh, we'll be launching um, an awareness and engagement campaign because although we involved almost 200 folks from different walks of life in our visioning process, it was a 10-day very active, engaging process. We did some end user design. We did prototypings of the learning environment of the future. Uh, we uh, associated one of the sessions with the big youth summit. So we had youth cycling in and giving us feedback and giving us their input. But as you know, we have lots of teachers, lots of students, lots of families. So this next year, Adder uh, will be launching an engagement campaign. Um, we're also going to link that graduate profile to our new accountability system, Measures of Success. And that's our new school quality improvement system, which is our waiver to No Child Left Behind. Um, and then we'll be working on an innovation strategy. So we're creating kind of an innovation lab and looking at, and, you know, how do we start allowing for teachers and principals who are ready to innovate move forward, but to really have kind of an R&D function in the district so you're not doing this in isolation, but we're doing this together. So for example, with the Salesforce grant, each of the principals um, in all the 20 uh, middle grade schools will be receiving a $100,000 innovation fund. So we've been doing sort of meetups with them and talking about what their ideas are about how to move towards this vision. And the middle grades did a lot of detailed work. We have a whole middle grades vision that they've done, and they're going to be looking for how to cluster together to start innovating towards a blended learning model. Um, or how to start doing maker labs in their schools, or how to do um, social-emotional services differently and really bring the community schools model to scale. Um, so we're going to have a formal innovation function in our district. I know the city's had a, you know, an innovation team and department and function, and we'll have something similar in SFUSD, and we're actually partnering with Jay Nath and his team and um, other companies around their innovation labs. <clears throat> and then we're also going to launch our own... Um, fund development function and uh, fund development foundation called SF Learns. So this is to kind of mirror SF Gives. There's a lot of technology companies who want to partner with us, and there's people at individual um, and corporate levels, many who have come to us and said, you know, we don't really want to go through a third party. We like partnering with the school district. There's a lot more trust. Actually, Bechtel and Haas and many others, Kellogg, 
don't want to go through a third party like us. Remember, we had the San Francisco School Alliance. They said, we want this relationship with you. So we're creating our own kind of foundation within the school district. This is very similar to what uh, the city is going to be doing and what colleges do as well. And we'll have an advisory board that's made up of diverse members of our community, but that are people that can work with our Board of Education who's going to be more actively involved in these strategic partnerships and fundraising. Some of our initial things that we're going to be fundraising for the digital district, and we'll need your support in that not only for private investing, but we really need to do a bond in 2016 or 17. <clears throat> the, um, we, we really had not done this before to say what would it cost to get every teacher and every student not only, you know, a laptop, but really the training, the development, the support, and have this be on a leasing system so that it gets refreshed every three years. You know you don't walk into schools and they're using computers that are 10 years old. Um, and be really a state-of-the-art district. And as we look at our budgets, there's no way to do this without some additional funding. Um, both locally and at a state level. So we need to advocate more at a state level. You can't expect us to be 21st century schools and do SBAC, which is all the assessments online, if there's no specific funding to really help our, our school districts do this. So we're excited about launching that campaign. We'll be focusing on talent, and there's a number of initiatives there to support our teachers. And we're doing some really exciting work as with the redesign of middle and high schools and creating a much more diverse portfolio of high schools. Um, for example, with International Studies Academy, we're going to do a partnership with Build On, which is about a whole international service learning model. Um, with Thurgood Marshall, we're looking at working with Microsoft to make this a totally 21st century Tech Academy, Zynga has worked with us to create game design academies at Balboa and Marshall, and we're really rethinking the career tech um, approach to more of a link learning approach. So those are some of the areas that we already have funders interested in and that we'll be doing some more proactive fundraising versus waiting for people to come to us, really getting the message out, this is not about just funding, it's about investing in public education and helping us move to this 21st century vision. Um, sure, Kim, I just had a question for Ms. Moran. Mm -hmm. um, I think when Tony Smith was still within the school district um, before he went to Oakland, he used to use the terminology that he's trying to disrupt the patterns of institutional racism and sexism. And I, I'm just curious, you brought up girls and low-income groups and the digital divide. And I'm just wondering what part of the vision to action is addressing what um, Superintendent Smith would always remind us of in what we were trying to do in achieving access and equity and social justice. So, you know, and this is why um, it'd be great if you could hear the voice of the students and maybe Commissioner Haiti can comment. When you talk to our students, um, there's a couple of things. First of all, they're bored with the traditional ways of teaching. And, you know, I think that's true for a lot of students, but in particular, we have, um, we're not engaging our students where they are. So we believe this whole vision is a disruption and is a way to really um, provide the access. I mean, right now only 3% of our students have access to technology. If you go to any private school or charter school, all the students have complete access and students who are from middle class or upper income families are learning how to program on iPads at three years old. And our students don't have that. So when, we, when our middle school principals worked with the mayor's office and Salesforce, one of the first things they said is if you want you know, access and equity, we have to provide our students with these tools to have access to 21st century learning, and they don't have that. 
And so for me, this whole vision is about that disruption um, and to accelerate us there because I don't, I think many of us don't feel it's fair that uh, if you go, go, and we did, we did learning visits to some of the private schools and the kinds of things that students have access to that ours don't is just not right and our students are falling even further behind than they were even five to 10 years ago. So that's where we have to make a huge investment and kind of leapfrog. I mean, in some ways we have to stop doing some of the old things we've been doing and push ourselves to innovate more. We don't have 10 years to do this, to be honest. We've got the next two to three years to really retool ourselves and give our students and teachers the tools they need to innovate, which they don't have right now. So thank you for that great question. So that gets to the last point is, um, again, we need to raise the financial, social, and political capital uh, to do this work. It's a real call to action um, to, to change the conditions for our students because right now, um, 3,500 to 4,000 students, right, graduate every year from our high schools. And we want all of them to have the choice to do post-secondary experiences that lead them right into jobs in San Francisco that are high wage, high demand, if that's what they choose, mm -hmm. so that they can live, lead, and work, and thrive in San Francisco and, and retain uh, the character of our city. So that's why we're very happy to uh, have you invite us here, and I'd in also invite our board members who've been active leaders in this if I've left anything out. Thank you, Ms. Moran. Are there any questions or comments? Okay. C Commissioner Mendoza. There we go. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to, to just note how far we've come <laughs> over this last year and the work that was put into this uh, visioning process. You know, for so long we've um, kind of taken the lead from people on the outside on some of the things that we need to do without really understanding what our students need. And this is a much more student-centered uh, way of looking at the way we want to deliver um, teaching and learning for our students. And it also sets up a way for us to do, uh, you know, um, Supervisor Kim, when you were on the board, how we were always pushing on this development office. And now we've actually have, a, we have a development office and we can actually um, speak to the needs of the, of the district in a very different way. So I just really wanted to commend um, Laura and her team and the executive leadership team who's implementing um, all of this work going forward and having us just get a better understanding of the true value of our of our district and the direction that we're going in. And it's just a really exciting time to be in the district, um, particularly with folks that are starting to invest in us differently and um, and looking at the school district as just that, an investment, instead of, you know, pouring money into a, into a black hole or not feeling like they're obligated because we're a state agency or, you know, not really feeling that public education is worth um, any kind of an investment. It's been a complete turnaround over the last couple of years and what um, Laura just described is really going to help us um, going forward to really uh, articulate our story. And that's what I look at this is it's our, it's our opportunity to be more um, intentional about how we tell our story and we have great examples and we and we have and we know where we want to get to um, as as things continue to change we'll adjust but at least we have a direction now and that's um, that's really exciting so thank you 
Thank you, Commissioner. I'm very excited that there's going to be um, development staff at SFUSD. I think it's so important that the district be able to fundraise um, <laughs> uh, beyond um, the state, which we know that we cannot depend on as we are 49th in the country in per pupil spending, uh, which is really atrocious considering that we are one of the wealthiest economies in the world, um, just the state of California. Um, it's really great to hear some of this movement. Um, I think, you know, I hear a lot from our tech companies about how they want to fund and invest in public schools so that students that are graduating um, from SFUSD are ready and um, eligible for jobs in the tech sector that's growing here. But, you know, there's a lot of, um, a lot of people don't know how to create this curriculum. The tech companies don't know how, we don't know how, and so people want to fund the work, but we don't know what the work is going to look like. And I think that is a really big challenge, is how do we really update um, our curriculum, and I, I, I love this presentation, but doing it is so much more challenging um, in, real, in real time and real life with our students um, than obviously drafting it. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to how that all develops and unfolds um, because it's so important that our education system um, keeps pace with where our economy and where our jobs are being created. If I could just say what, um, what I'm really excited about um, this year is with the Salesforce grant doubling, um, we're actually going to be integrating the technology into the implementation of the new Common Core math sequence. So as you know, one of our big equity goals, we thought, you know, hey, everyone should do algebra by eighth grade and that will be equity. And what we found is that was a failed strategy. So we've worked with Phil Darrow from University um, UC Berkeley and others. And Oakland and San Francisco have passed board resolutions to totally revamp the entire way we teach um, math, 6th, 7th, and 8th grade, based on the latest research, but we're going to integrate technology and computer science. And we are, we're using this grant from Salesforce to support the math team at all 20 of these schools. So the teachers and the STEM team are going to be innovating together on how to enrich right from the beginning this new Common Core curriculum, which we, I think we do know what the new curriculum needs to be. What we really need to invest in is the teacher professional development to take that curriculum and then innovate in terms of now how do, what are the best digital apps? What are the ways to use technology in that higher order thinking way? And not to get too technical, but we have this whole model that is the equivalent to Bloom's taxonomy. We call it SAMR. And we really work with the teachers to say, how do we make sure that as we use the technology, it's not just, um, you know, substitution. You know, you're doing the same thing, but just with a, you know, piece of equipment, but that you're doing more complex lessons. And that's what you heard from that teacher, right? And demonstrating 21st century skills. Because when you talk to the employers, not only do they want kids to know computer science, they want them to be able to communicate, collaborate, right? Um, do creative problem solving. And that's what we're really focusing on. Um, we're working with another tech company that's uh, thinking of adopting the elementary schools to do sort of a similar kind of thing and actually marry it with digital family literacy. And then at high schools, Microsoft and Apple have stepped forward to say we want to be really uh, strategic thought partners and make investments with you. Uh, Google's at the table. So it's very interesting just in a year, the more we've gotten clear about our vision and where we're going, the tech companies are at the table and want to not just invest, but want to be thinking with us to bring their expertise as well. So it's great. It's going to be very exciting. So we hope you'll great. come visit the schools and see the work in progress. Great. Thank you. I, I would love to visit and see the progress, actually. All right. I'm seeing no further 
Com Commissioner Haney. Thing here. Okay, there you we did. go. I'm you on. Um, so I, I don't have that much to add. I, I think that uh, Laura covered it extraordinarily well, and I agree also uh, with the comments that Commissioner Mendoza McDonald made. Um, a couple just quick things that I did want to add. Um, one, kind of echoing what Commissioner Mendoza McDonald um, brought up, which was the process that <laughs> it's a long name to say. What Hydra said. We're amongst friends here. Um, which is the process that got us here. You know, we, we, we brought in, I remember at the beginning, it was like we brought in over like a hundred, over a hundred people, you know, teachers, administrators, parents, students, business people. And I remember talking to other board members and the superintendent at the beginning, and there was a collective feeling of, well, we'll see how this goes, you know, just a, just a sense that how are we going to get all these people on the same page with a shared vision? And I think more than anything, what came up by the end of it was how um, shocked we were, uh, but also how hopeful it made us that there was that collective vision around where we wanted to go. And that's reflected here in, in, in the strategic shifts, in the graduate profile, and all of the, the, the ideas of what we think is possible for kids in San Francisco and should be there considering what we have at our fingertips in the city. Uh, that's what's reflected here, and it was shared amongst an incredibly diverse uh, set of folks who brought together to put forward this vision. Obviously, this is the vision of the school district and the school board and et cetera, but um, it was one that was deeply informed by a, a broad set of stakeholders who, who truly, um, across differences, uh, agreed to this um, and, and were reflecting it from their own perspectives. Um, the, sec the second thing I wanted to add to it was that you know, this SF Learns thing, I think for a long time there's been a sense that people have come to the school district and said, you know, I'm sure this was your experience often um, as commissioners, you know, we, we want to add this to, we want to, we want to, we have this particular interest and we want to pay for this, right? Um, as opposed to the school district putting forward our broad vision and, and letting folks know how they can fit into it and how we need them to fit into it. So Laura um, uh, brought up uh, some examples of companies that have come forward, and we have had a lot of good examples of folks who've come forward to help make us this, make this possible, but we have a long way to go. So many companies, private sector, all of that, um, are not part of this yet, and so what we want to have the opportunity to say is, here is what we need, and we also need you to step forward and help us achieve this, and we can't do it without you. And that's what I'd, I imagine we're going to need help, you know, not just from those companies, but from all of the city, um, city electeds, everyone to come together and make that case as, as almost a demand that if somebody is going to come and do business here, uh, that there's an expectation that they step up and do something for kids here. Uh, so that's, you know, that's something that we're, we're, we're laying the framework for actually to make that case. Uh, and to, I would even say, to make that um, expectation uh, of, of people. And then the last thing is just the, the, the I would appreciate the, co the comment around uh, that com uh, Commissioner Mar, <laughs> Supervisor Mar, uh, made around, around how this connects to equity. And I think all of this, ha that has to be the central focus, the central driving uh, concern. And I can say that as a, as a board member, it is. And, and the situation that we have now where um, the future of San Francisco and jobs and innovation and everything, um, if we don't make some big changes, as you all know, 
um, our kids are going to be left behind and they're not going to have access to it. And so we need to do something dramatic. Um, we need to obviously address those changes as well, which is what you all do every day here. But we need to do something dramatic um, for our young people here, uh, particularly ones um, from, from neighborhoods that are being deeply affected by these changes uh, to make sure that they have, have access to the skills, the experiences, the opportunities, the resources, technology, everything uh, to be able to stay here and thrive here. So that's, that's what's driving this, and, and I would really appreciate uh, the reminder that we need to maintain that as a focus. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Haney. Um, I know that there are also you know, uh, clubs like Girls Who Code that are starting to form in our schools, which I think is great because I think young people really do like to learn this on their own time. Um, and often do it faster and better than we do as adults. And so I think that that's positive. But I'm hoping it expands beyond Lowell because I believe that's the only school that has that right now. Or that's what I was told a couple last fall. So maybe that's changed. No, a number of the middle schools are doing coding clubs. Actually, even the teachers, to be honest with you, the Hour of Code's got 20 hours of coding curriculum. And the teachers who are in the pilot this year doing the iPads actually just started doing it at lunch with their students mm -hmm. and giving it as extra credit. Mm -hmm. So, and you saw the student on the video was coding. I mean, so it's really um, amazing to see how quickly the students and teachers are kind of adapt adapting and integrating it. What we want to make sure is it's universal, that if you're a student in SFUSD, you're going to get uh, age-appropriate experience with computer science in elementary, middle, and high school. And in high school, as you know, we're really rebuilding the career tech academies around information technology and have a great partnership uh, with OEWD, SF City, um, SF State. We just met with them today. I mean, SF State has a fabulous computer science program, and none of our students get into it, or hardly any. And, and they graduate, every student they graduate gets an immediate job in San Francisco. So we're talking to them, uh, and actually the research for our African-American students, and this is um, typical across the country, if we can get our students into a four-year program, like at SF State, their chances of graduating and being able to go into these jobs is much higher. And actually our students who get into these four-year programs do that. So we're actually talking about Bayview Shipyard and how do we create a different way for the school districts, the universities, and the businesses to have kind of an innovation zone for our students, not only in that neighborhood, but to draw from neighborhoods across the city. So there's a lot of exciting things happening, and there's great partnerships um, all around. Thank you. So at this time, we'll open up for public. Oh, actually, um, Supervisor Marr. Actually, I, I don't want to extend the meeting too much, but can I just ask, is there any concern with too much um, tech sector um, involvement in education. I know um, Ms. Casco helped me go to a urban schools conference in near Seattle where Microsoft was, and they were, this is like 14 years ago, and it felt like a big hard sell trying to hook us on software and all kinds of stuff. But it seems like the climate is different where the Benioffs and Salesforce is saying, what can we do to support you? So the school district and the vision is really coming up with what youth and students want and allowing the companies to contribute to that vision. But that's what it seems like. But I'm just wondering if you think that there's any um, concerns about over-reliance on the private sector. And I just wanted to acknowledge that our chairman of our youth commission, Nicholas Persky, is here. I think he's graduating in a week or something, too. But, but I, I just wanted to throw that question out. Are there any concerns that are there? Okay. Oh, I'll address it. Laura has thoughts on it, too. I, I don't know if you um, 
saw the recent situation that happened with Newark and with Facebook. And um, I think that, that if, you, if you look at that situation where Facebook really was dictating a lot of the policy changes that, that should have been made by the elected officials there and by the school officials. And so I think we have to be very careful with that and very aware of that the decisions in terms of the needs and the priorities and the vision uh, need to be made by the school board, by educators, uh, and that we need to find where we can draw on the support and expertise of folks outside, whether they're private companies or whoever, as to how they fit into that. And so that's what's, that's, that's what's been really exciting about this vision and about the digital district plan that we're putting forward and such is that we, we are laying our own vision and then, and then, then they're coming and figuring out how they fit into it. But I think even, even with that, we have to be concerned and always vigilant that we aren't allowing them to dictate our priorities and because even when they give money it still ends up taking our time in different ways we do use our resources and then once you build something and they go their funding goes away well now we own it and and so i th i think there is still a question as to uh, ensuring that whatever it is that we do even if they are going to put forward money that it fits into our priorities and i think that's been as a, as a, as a board something that we put on the table and just you know addressed and and, and that's that's what we hope that this is going to allow us to, um, to, to, to both move forward, but while addressing that concern that the private sector has a role, but it's not in making education policy. Supervisor Avalos. Thank you, and actually I really appreciate your, your comments, Commissioner Haney. I, I agree, I think the framework that the school district sets up about what our goals are around education and curriculum are what, you know, where money needs to flow into based on what the school district sees as what's uh, what's important. Um, I actually, for me, the, the Benioff funds, which are great that we were able to receive, uh, for me the verdict is still out on whether those funds are really doing, you know, great work in the middle school. Uh, I'm not sure the iPads have been really been utilized as an educational tool to the extent that um, they, they could, could be. I'm not sure if there was a real strong plan in place about how they would be used in our middle schools. And I'm just hearing this from different parents uh, who have uh, kids in the school district, uh, James Denman in particular. Um, so um, I'm, I'm, cur I'm just curious how, well, I won't ask that question here, but I'm wondering, I was wondering how much of an effort there was to kind of build a curriculum uh, before there was actually uh, donate, the, the donation made. And then also, what do we have in our schools that enable us to be able to use, I mean, iPads work on Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi in City Hall is terrible, we have it here. <laughs> are this, is Wi-Fi good in the schools? And um, are we really, you know, train the teachers to be effective teachers with this technology as well? So that's a great question. Actually, um, that was our conversation with Salesforce is that we didn't want to invest in iPads unless we had the wireless and professional development. Um, the, all the teachers who participated, and first of all, I think people think that there's iPads in every middle school. There's not. I mean, we basically had enough funding for uh, two teachers from each of the 12 comprehensive middle schools, and teachers had to voluntarily sign up. Um, and they went through five days of training in the summer, so they went through a total boot camp run by our ed tech department. Um, and really learned with each other and learned how to use the technology. Um, I would say last year, and, and then they had training throughout the year, and we had 
probably three or four instructional coaches who went in and worked side by side with the teachers. So, um, and we just had a symposium at Autodesk where we had all the teachers and many of them brought their students giving demonstrations of the kinds of lessons they had created along the SAMR model, which is the levels of complexity. And at least there, I, you know, um, we heard lots of great feedback from our teachers, our students, and pa some parents came as well. Um, and we've got data we can share with you, pre and post surveys, classrooms observations. We worked with SRI, Stanford Research Institute, to help with the evaluation. Um, so we can share all of that, but we really were just prototyping because we didn't want to say, like LA, let's just do it all at once. We wanted to say, how do we figure out how to make this work so it's not just a toy in the classroom? What we didn't have last year is, as you know, the Common Core is brand new. So the curriculum and instruction department had not really laid out what the math and science curriculum would be, the new math and science curriculum. This year, the STEM team led by Jim Ryan, who's, who's fantastic, has laid out a beautiful math curriculum that was developed unit lessons with teachers. So the training this year is much more integrating the technology with the math together. Um, and then next year we'll do the next gen science standards. So I, I think this year, first of all, I think we did a really good job this year uh, with the training and development and it will be even stronger next year because there's more integration. And to the tech companies, they're not coming and telling us what the curriculum should be. They're sort of saying, what we're saying to them is help us afford the iPads, the wireless, the stipends for the teachers, the professional development days. And we're doing that with new funders who are coming to us. So now I'm working at elementary with Daisy Santos, who does English language arts, who's very teacher focused. And she's gonna be driving how the technology is integrated. Right, we're not buying uh, anything from the vendors uh, that we don't want. We're looking at our own curriculum and then picking and choosing from the marketplace what are those apps or device, uh, not devices, but apps that work. I will also say we are working with a lot of the um, tech companies around, we made a decision this year to be multi-platform so that we aren't held hostage just by one, um, one company. So, you know, the, the Google Chromebooks um, are, are becoming much more affordable and we're saying we want to support both Chromebooks and iPads. And so, actually we're in a kind of good position to be honest with our tech companies of saying, this is our plan, this is our budget, you need to start looking at, at how you can really best support us. So, I think we're going to get stronger and stronger at it and that's why we're trying to go slow in the beginning and not just do, you know, a massive implementation overnight um, and we're learning as we go but at a certain point now that we've done some prototyping we do have to go faster because some of the sixth graders said to us you know because someone said oh this is the lady that raises the money <laughs> and they said well what, what, what am I gonna have iPads in seventh grade I've loved using them in sixth grade so we now that we've built up demand with teachers and students we are going to have to figure out how to accelerate to have that equity and access um, but I it's a great question Thank you. I, I would love to get a briefing on your evaluation of great. that. If you yes. can come into the into City Hall or I can go to the school district. I'd love to share it yeah, with you. That would be great. Yeah. And um, the, I know my, my, my daughter's going to start middle school at uh, SF Community School, which is oh, a K-8 alternative. Yeah. And so I know the, the 
curriculum's not going to be there and iPads aren't going to be there. And yeah, yes, will they will be. In, be. The, in this, this next semester. Right, for okay. math. Uh, so the math team at um, SF Community will be part of this initiative, and they will have um, some Chromebooks and iPads, and the math teachers are going to be working together with the new Common Core on how to integrate the technology. So hopefully she'll be uh, participating. Thank you. Commissioner well, she Mendoza. with math, oh. but she'll, uh, <laughs> she'll, be, she'll be great. Thanks. Okay. Commissioner Mendoza. Great. Thank you. Um, so I just wanted to, to clarify a couple of things. So this is, we don't look at this as an iPad initiative, that the iPads are just a tool for us to deliver Common Core math, and that we're going to be integrating computer science and coding within the math delivery. And so that, I think that's really critical because this is, um, you know, we've had to kind of, talk about it very differently because this isn't about, you know, who get, delivering iPads to a bunch of schools. Um, the other thing that's been really great about focusing on our middle schools is we're able to do a uniform delivery of information and, and training for our teachers. So all of our teachers that participated this last year, they all volunteered. These were all pioneers, innovators, some of whom had some experience, some of whom um, didn't. Uh, but they were willing to to test this out, and that was really great. And they came up with some amazing projects. I, um, the showcase last week was really phenomenal, and, and what the students were able to talk about in terms of what their the research they're able to do and what they're um, able to find via the the internet has been really incredible. Um, the other thing is the K eight is going to be a critical component because we do have. Um, a large net we have over a thousand students in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade in our K-8s, and so we wanted to be sure that they were not left behind. Um, so all it's now it's now the a middle grades initiative and not a middle schools initiative, but really focusing on sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. Um, and then the one other thing I wanted to say is with regards to the Wi-Fi, you know, it it certainly can be spotty. But we were really intentional about the way in which Wi-Fi was set up, in, in um, particularly having hotspots close to the classrooms that were, where the, um, where the uh, iPads existed. So, so the, the one lesson I think that we learned is when you have, you know, 30 students all on Wi-Fi at once, what's the capacity of, of one device? And so we made sure that we loaded up accordingly. And then to Laura's point, I mean, I think, you know, there was a large lesson learned from L.A., um, which we're glad we didn't do and we, prob and we wouldn't have done anyway, which was to just kind of, you know, distribute iPads everywhere and hope that everybody was, you know, would keep them safe. And, I mean, we went through some pretty strict protocols around making sure that they're not visible and, you know, we worry about them getting stolen and those kinds of things. And so we've put in some really strong enforcement around that. Um, and, you know, interestingly, when the principals were given some extra funding, what they what they ended up doing was buying more devices for more teachers who wanted to be part of the pilot. And so, um, we're really excited about this upcoming year. We're going to have upwards of 50 teachers that are going to be um, connected, and and the delivery of education just comes very differently. And and it's and it's not you know all day long. They're still getting they're still getting both ways of of uh, of learning, so that's just been really great. Thank you. All right, so um, appreciate the very lively discussion on this item. So at this time, we're going to open up for public comment. Mr.
Mr. Edmund. Hello, my name is Larry Edmund. I'm coming here really to celebrate my boy Harvey Milk's birthday because he was elected in 77. And I thought about my education in 57 when Little Rock Central, uh, Daisy Bates and Eisenhower sent the troops there. How that transformed to in 69, we had the first black and white head start in America, Barack President Obama and I. So I see where this is diverse of education. It's going to prepare San Francisco people, students for 2025 to be diverse. And with the first lady saying, have cow shakes in school, they're going to be healthy. And they won't be able to be, get bullied to report racism through kids. I think America is being known around the country as the president, the LGBT president, but I hope in all this stops, any child in this country will be able to go to school, not be bullied. Because you know, when I was going to school, they used to hit me in the back of my head with literature books and English books and stuff. So they said I was gay. They would hit the gay kids and the white kids in the back of the head, the kids who smoke cigarettes who are not living no more now. But that just go to show you that education it, it, it changes, it adds on, and this is a growth for adding on education for the future. Because American kids are special. I think American kids should be the most diverse in the world. And I think what you're doing here today is making sure that these kids have a diverse future. You know, and I love all of these points of the knowledge of skills, the graduate profile, development students to compete, thrive in 21st century. I'm just crazy over four, five, six, three, two, and one. I'm glad to be here. I'm saying Harvey Milk has given us hope, and we must keep giving hope to the kids. Because the greatest love of all is for the children to be themselves and not have hate. So now I'm on my way to see Harvey Milk and get my statue, my stamp. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Edmund. Um. Good afternoon, supervisors and board members. My name is Michelle Kong, a senior at Galileo Academy, and I serve as the vice chair of the Youth Commission. Um, when I participated in 2025, it was a really, really great, fun, inclusive process, and um, it sparked so many um, different, it had so many different topics which sparked great discussion points, and I completely fell in love with it. Um, I really want to applaud the staff which put it all together, because it was, I know it's a lot of effort. And I definitely want to encourage future curriculum planning to be processed in the same way where it invites not only SFUSD staff members and oversight bodies, but also um, students and service providers. Um, and I really hope in the future um, outreach towards the students can be increased because I want to see more students voice their own experience and needs by themselves um, since at the end of the day, no one can represent us better than um, we can represent ourselves. And I look forward to seeing all the findings implemented in the future. The current style of teaching is currently not the best for all, but um, it shouldn't be completely erased either. I hope in the future we can have better ways to identify different styles of learning and follow up to support them properly. Um, when a student feels comfortable in a classroom, that is when they can thrive and explore their capabilities and creativity. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Commissioner. Is there any other public comment at this time? Seeing none, public comment is closed. Any final comments or discussion? 
All right, I just wanted to thank um, members of the committee um, for their time today and, of course, um, our school district. Um, really good discussion on, on both items. I also want to recognize our clerk, Ms. Casco, and also SFGovTV, Jim Smith and John Ross, for recording each of our meetings and making them available to the public. Madam Clerk, are there any other items? None. Is there a recommendation to this item? Madam oh, Chair? right. Um, should we take a motion to file? And we, we have a motion to file. We can do that without opposition. Finally, I just want to say that um, because of the complexity of the budget um, season schedule, um, we will be canceling uh, this meeting for the month of June um, as, as we have two members of the Budget Committee on our Select Committee. And I know in July the school district um, is off at recess, and then in August the Board of Supervisors is off on recess. So our next meeting will be in September, but I look forward to seeing you all then. Um, with no further items or announcement, meeting is adjourned. Thank you. Thank you.